Strasvice, welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Kakdila. Sugodni, Patrick. I am absolutely fantastic, Gary. This is not a Russian broadcast. This is still in English. Um, we might change this Oskelga sometime, but as of right now, it's in uh, English. But Gary, what are we talking about today? Um, and how is life for you? This is a broadcast from Soviet Radio in Leningrad. Um, life is good. Uh, I can't complain. Well, actually, I can complain because it's absolutely bucketing down outside so it is here in cork sunny here um, but anyway actually lovely and dry and sunny this morning and i was looking forward to that but uh yeah such is life it is friday as we record this got that friday feeling as my man mufasa says and uh this week we're going to be talking about a continuation topic from the fat loss discussions that we've been having and in particular, what we're going to discuss is the fact that the feeling or experience that comes from the process of fat loss or being in a calorie deficit is not for life. And this is a really important thing to get because one of the things that you will hear discussed most often, and we've discussed it, is that fat loss and the process of pursuing fat loss, particularly if you do so in a more aggressive manner, comes with a number of trade-offs, both uh, physiological and psychological, and as well as, you know, social effects and beyond, where if you have, if you are eating less food, for example, you're not going to be able to engage socially as much. Um, if you're eating less food, you're not going to have as much energy for training. If you're eating less food, you are going to be hungry. You're going to have more cravings. You might struggle psychologically with that, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not what is required long-term because ultimately there is an, in, an end point and there's going to be multiple pit stops potentially along the way. And if you have the foresight to be able to realize that, oh, this is going to change in future and this is temporary, that makes that process a lot more tolerable. And a parallel example would be when someone is pursuing a longer term career path, for example, um, in medicine or law or various other fields, there's often a, an intensive period, not only during the education process where you're at university, but after that postgraduate where you have, you're basically at the bottom of the food chain. You have to do a lot of additional exams, a lot of additional accreditation, and it's kind of accepted as part of that career pathway that the first few years will suck. You know, that you're at the bottom of the food chain. You're not being reimbursed particularly well. You don't have much time for social activities, relationships, et cetera, because you're working so much. But the, the, the realization is that this is worth it. This is toler tolerable because five, 10 years down the line, I'll eventually be able to step back a little bit less. I'll have a little bit more autonomy, responsibility, payment, depending on the field. And all of that makes that tolerable. If someone was in that position where, you know, they were, let's say, um, in their second year of medical training after graduating and they were working as much as they are, being paid as much as they are, you know, uh, being treated as they are, uh, they probably, if they were thinking that this was for life and this is never going to change for the next 40, 50 years as I work, that would probably be intolerable for a lot of people and you'd have a much higher dropout rate, although it's already quite high. And um, 
that's that's ultimately what you need to think about when it comes to fat loss as well is that many people think that fat loss weight loss is not going to be achievable achievable for me because this experience is something i just can't sustain but the reality is that if you have 10 kilos to lose let's say and then you're you're going to be happy at that body weight you're healthy at that body weight then what you have to realize is that if you lose that 10 kilos let's say over 10 15 20 weeks even a year that's your investment. And that's it, potentially, that you can go back to maintenance, that you can increase your calories, that you can return to a more um, normal or satisfactory way of eating. And, you know, that's just a really important thing to grasp. And that's why we want to emphasize it in this podcast. Yeah. And this is like, it's, this is so important because as soon as you actually understand this, right. And I mean, actually understand it, not just in a Oh, those are good words. Yeah, they make sense. I mean, understand this in terms of like, as it applies to you in your fat loss phases, if you can go from having that short term, oh, this is what I'm going to do over the next six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it is, you can go from having that short term focus and focusing entirely on like, oh, this is what fat loss feels like. Oh, I feel crap. I feel like I have low energy, et cetera, et cetera. Like the things that go along with that. And then you actually think of the long term in terms of like, what are you actually moving towards? Where are you actually going with all of this stuff? Like, where do you want to be in a year's time? Like, let's go six months time, you know, a year's time, two years time, five years, 10 years time. Like, where do you want to be with all this stuff? It, first of all, actually makes the process easier because you actually start employing methods that are far more in line with what you actually want to achieve rather than focusing purely on the like, oh, I'm going to go in this thousand calorie diet, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm going to try to get as much fat loss as humanly possible before I burn out, you know, and invariably like, that's not how people do successful fat loss diets because they do that thousand calorie diet and then they stick to that for two weeks. And then all of a sudden they have 30,000 calories over a weekend. They feel like shit. They feel guilty. They feel like crap, blah, blah, blah. Then they're like, all right, I can't start the diet. I've been binging since Friday and it's now Thursday or it's now fucking Wednesday. So I'll start next Monday. So, you know, like stuff like that happens. And obviously you don't get results that way, you know? So having this longer term focus actually makes the process so much smoother because you don't do stupid things like that. You actually diet correctly, right? Or you go out and learn about how to diet correctly. You, you know, say you get coaching from people like us, for example, or, you know, you listen to podcasts like this, or you actually go about the process in a much more beneficial way long-term, right? However, one of the things that, and Gary just noted it there, one of the things that really makes this hard to, to know exactly what to do is that, you know, like you could be on a fat loss phase, you could be on a fat loss diet and be like, right, I want to lose 10 kilos, we'll say. So, and, you know, not a huge amount, but a fairly significant amount, amount as well. Right. Um, you want to lose those 10 kilos and you're like, right, that's what I need to do. That's, that's the, that's the kind of goal with all of this. Right. You can be in a position where you could be on track with that. You're like, all right, I'm losing a kilo, two kilos, three kilos. You know, you're moving on, on, you know, you're moving forward with that stuff. Right. And if you focus purely on, Oh, what I feel like right now, that's what I'm going to feel like forever. If that's what you focus on, like you're probably not going to actually finish that diet. You're probably not going to be successful long-term with that diet because generally eating less food 
is not enjoyable. No one really likes that. And okay, maybe you get over the physiological stuff. You know, maybe it's not hunger is not getting you because, you know, you've been really like, oh, I get a load of veggies in, you know, even with like the water that I drink, like in between meals, I'm adding like, you know, psyllium husk to it. So I get more fiber. I feel fuller, you know, stuff like that. Like there's loads of little hacks and tricks and whatever else that you can potentially use to feel a little bit fuller and, you know, less hungry on a diet. Maybe you just, you know, normally you just don't feel that, you know, it's like uh, the, physiological hunger response is not that high for you it's not like something that's going to derail you from the diet you know um maybe you notice you've low energy you know maybe or maybe you don't notice you've low energy you know like there's going to be different things that you're going to experience on the diet maybe your thinking is a little bit different in terms of like some people find that they have a negative thought process when dieting like they're just like oh like i I shouldn't do that. Or, you know, they're just very negative in their, their thoughts. Whereas when they're you know eating more, they're like very positive. I feel great. You know, like everything, life is good, et cetera. Right. And um, again, that's potentially experiences that you're going to have while you're dieting, but also, and this is probably the, the main deciding factor, the biggest factor for the vast majority of people. And that is when you're dieting, like socializing becomes very hard, right? Like I can, pretty much fucking tell you right now about 50% of my clients. And I could say what I even have in ask Gary about 50% of his clients right now that are dieting, they're probably struggling with the fact that the world is reopening. You know, it's like, Oh, shops are open. Restaurants are kind of open. Like obviously still dine outside, but they're opening up, you know, there's more going on. People are having barbecues. People are having like food in their houses, you know, like there's, there's more going on. And as a result of that, people don't want to be in a fat loss phase, even though they might still want to get fat loss, you know? So if you focus entirely on like, oh, I am really restricted in terms of what I can actually do on this fat loss phase. I don't actually want to be lean anymore. You know, I don't want to be lean ever because you think that that's what it's going to be like for the rest of your life. When in reality, that's not really the case. You know, like once you get to the level of leanness that you want to be at, you've got the fat loss that you want. The longer term with this stuff is you actually get to eat more calories, not maybe more than you previously ate, you know, that led to, you know, the fat accumulation, but you get to eat more calories than what you dieted on. Right. And that is something that you really like need to get into your head that like what you eat for fat loss is not the same in terms of, you know, the magnitude in terms of calories and stuff the, what you eat for fat loss is not the same as what you eat for long-term maintenance, you know? So that is something that you really need to get into your head and actually internalize rather than just thinking they're that they're they're good words yeah yeah and, and as along with that i think that one one of the, one hindrance of the diet of the diet process is that when you are dieting for a long period of time your hunger and your appetite and those signals and the circuitry responsible for that become a bit dysregulated so if you were to, let's say, let's say someone is dieting on 2,200 calories, their maintenance is around 2,800 calories. If they have a single day or even a week at 2,800 calories, it still doesn't feel like that much to them because they've got this accumulated um, diet fatigue, so to speak, and they've got these cravings and they've got uh, increased hunger and appetite. And they still don't feel fulfilled when they bump up to 2,800 calories, despite having been on 2,200 previously. And that's especially the case if someone has lost a lot of weight and particularly at very low levels of body fat. But the thing to understand there is that the longer that you maintain that level of maintenance, the more 
those um, systems begin to um, normalize once again. Okay, so they become a bit more regulated. So you get greater concordance between how hungry you are and your true energy needs. Whereas when you're dieting, there's significant discordance there where if you could probably consume 3,500 calories at a maintenance of 2,800 and still be hungry, you know, 4,000, you could still be hungry potentially. Um, But if you were to do that every single day, you'd be pretty full, you know, and you'd eventually get to the point where you're not really that interested in food anymore. The food focus begins to diminish. And that's what we tend tend to see um, with people coming out of uh, diets. And it's one of the reasons that I tend to be pretty keen, and we tend to be pretty keen, I think, on getting people back to maintenance rather than adopting a very slow reverse diet process. Because you will see some people do this where, they might have, you know, been in an aggressive diet where they were, you know, in a deficit of 500 calories and then they add 50 calories per week. So they're still in a deficit for 10 additional weeks and it takes them 10 weeks to get back to maintenance. And despite the fact that they've been increasing their calories, they've actually prolonged that period in an energy deficit and um, not given themselves the chance to recover uh, that concordance between hunger um, and energy needs. So that's something that's really important. It's just but- as an aside, like that, that can be a perfectly fine approach if you want to basically keep dieting while you slowly yes, exactly. increase your calories. Like if you're like, I have 10 more weeks of dieting to do. Now, maybe you've like five more weeks of dieting to do, but you're like, my event that I want to get lean for is 10 weeks away. You're like, okay, well, let's start actually slowly increasing calories in the lead up to that. You know, it's like, we're still in a deficit. So great. Um, But we've got a little bit more energy to play with now. 50 calories is, you know, kind of fuck all. But at the same time, it is a slight bit more than what you previously were on. So like we're not bashing that approach. It's just that is still a deficit approach. That is still a fat loss approach, you know? Um, It's not a get to maintenance approach and this is just what gary was saying there like this is so weird in terms of like if you experience this you'll know exactly what we're talking about like if you've never experienced this you kind of go like what like what i don't i don't really grasp it but if you've ever been in a deficit like you'll know you go back up to what you think is maintenance and all of a sudden you're like why am i still hungry like this is supposed to be maintenance and then you can start thinking like oh, I'm actually just going to be hungry for the rest of my life. This is me now, you know? So fuck this. I'm just going to eat whatever the fuck I want because, you know, I'm hungry all the time, right? And this is why, like, I would argue that the the maintenance phase, like we were you know, pretty big on, you know, doing maintenance phases. Um, you know, obviously depends on the client, depends on the situation. But I think a maintenance phase makes sense for a lot of people. Like actually diving into a diet that is set up to just maintain your weight like we're still progressing with the training like i always call it gain taining where it's like you know we're we're focusing on progress wherever we can get it but the diet is actually just set up to like maintain weight right but it's so important to go through that phase especially after a diet and like some people can do it in two weeks some people can do it in eight weeks some people can do it in 12 weeks you know some people takes a lot longer it depends on the level of leanness depends on the history etc but having a phase after a diet phase where you're actually focused on just maintaining weight is actually so important because it actually allows those hunger signals to become realigned because if you don't do this and you focus on like oh i'm just going to you know, gain weight or whatever, you can end up in a situation where your hunger actually far outstrips your actual need. Like if you just, like you see people go like, oh, I finished my fat loss phase. I'm going to go into like an intuitive eating style of dieting. Like it's probably the worst time to do it, you know, because if you're trying to listen to your hunger signals, those hunger signals are just going, feed me all the time. You know, just like, give me food, give me food, I need food 
all of the fucking time because you've just been dieting for however many weeks, you know? Whereas if you've done an actual maintenance phase, you know, let's say four weeks of that, you actually get back to a stage where you're like, oh, I'm actually quite hungry. Like say, for example, I know my maintenance is in and around 2750, I guess in and around where I, I need to be for maintenance right now based on my lifestyle and training demands, et cetera. Um, and I know, like I was dieting previously a couple of weeks ago on like 2200, right? 2250, something like that, right? Um, and for me, I was like, I'm relatively hungry on that. It's, it's more so the socializing and like being able to eat dinner or whatever with my girlfriend it's like that those kind of things become hard and so i was like i'm i'm kind of happy with my physique now i'm happy with fat loss i'm gonna end it right and then i went up to like again what i thought was maintenance and first few weeks i was like i'm still kind of hungry on this and now at the stage i'm like i'm eating the exact same amount and i'm like and i'm actually stuffed like i'm actually i'm struggling to get the food in even though i'm eating the same amount and like my body hasn't changed like i've gained like you know, half a kilo in that time frame, like in the last whatever, however many weeks. And like most of that was in the first two weeks, you know, it's like as your body, you know, gets glycogen, water, etc. Right. Um <clears throat> so that is something to be really, really aware of. And it's that's more of a feeling than a physio physiological thing. Like obviously it is, you know, we can explain it physiologically in terms of like the signaling that's going on. Like there is some lag time with this stuff. However, it is a feeling that we're discussing, right? And this is really important because how you feel on the, like the deficit, like that does have some carrier carry over in terms of how you then feel when you are eating that maintenance. And that can lead a lot of people to basically quit the diet because they feel like, oh, well, I'm going to feel hungry all the time. I might as well just fucking give up with all this stuff, you know? When in reality, it's like, you know, it, it, there is some lag time here and that hunger will dissipate as you spend longer and longer eating that maintenance and it is the actually the exact same well the exact same but opposite when you're in a you know a gaining phase or a bulking phase or whatever fuck you want to call it in terms of like your hunger like you won't feel hungry like say you, you uh get to, to the end of your bulking phase you know you've done that for the last two years you've just been overeating and you're like right i'm pretty happy with the muscle that i've built i want to see what's underneath this and then you go into a deficit, like out the gate, like you could go into like a thousand calorie deficit and you'd be like, not really that hungry because you've just spent the last two years over consuming. Right. So there is some lag time in terms of when that hunger starts picking up again. Um, and that is important to understand because I'm telling you from years of experience with this stuff, most people find that transition time in terms of going from a fat loss phase into a maintenance phase difficult, not because of any of the demands or the physiological stuff, more so for the, we'll call it psychological stuff in terms of like actually managing those feelings that occur and how they then perceive and analyze those feelings. Yes, sir. I agree with everything that has been uttered from the mouth of Mr. Patrick Farrell. So I think that the the key point here that, that you need to get is to have some sort of exit plan in advance. It doesn't need to be something that you actually stick to rigidly, but that you have some idea of where does the diet stop? How am I going to approach it when I end the diet in terms of, for example, removing cardio or increasing calories, etc. And one of the biggest problems is that people just don't have any exit plan. People and don't have just, any plan, full stop. They basically yeah, any plan, like, full stop. I, I want to be like dieting forever. That's the plan. You know, it's like, this is not a good plan because then you're just going to have those bad feelings forever and never get the good feelings. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I mean, there, there's a few different things that, that are important there because what happens when people exit a diet typically is they'll stop doing all the cardio they used to do 
they'll start training in a different way. They'll start not only eating far more, but also eating different foods. And this is one of the key things I want to emphasize for the purpose of this podcast is that like, it's not just about the change in calories after a diet. It's also about the changes in food, because what people often do when they're dieting is that they'll begin to, you know, adopt a diet that's typically cleaner, so to speak. So more vegetables, more lean meats. They're typically looking for foods that are higher in volume and that are going to keep them uh, more full. They might be using strategies, like you said, Patty, like psyllium husk between meals, trying to eat more fiber, et cetera, et cetera. Everything is effectively trying to manage hunger and maximize fullness on that level of calories. And what people look forward to then is no longer using those strategies. So not only do they come out of a diet and let's say add 500 calories, but they also swap their, all those strategies out in place of more calorie dense foods, more normal foods, maybe eating out more, et cetera. And all of that then leads to, um, basically an even higher tendency to want to overeat because you've already got some, you know, dysregulated hunger slash appetite signals. And you're now feeding that uh, with hyper palatable foods into effectively what is a hypersensitive system to those stimuli, because that, that is what, what position you're in when you finish a diet, you're very sensitive to, you know, sweetness, you know, the, the mouthfeel of like fattier foods, like chocolate, et cetera. It's all amazing to you because you've, one, you've been deprived of those, but secondly, uh, you also are in a, you know, an energy deficit or you have been in an energy deficit. So everything is primed to make you want to overeat. So when you're coming up with that exit plan, you need to make sure that if you are changing calories, that you're not also massively changing the food uh, types that you're consuming. You can to some degree, for example, you might've previously been having um, porridge with uh, water, let's say in the morning, uh, and now you're swapping back to porridge with milk because you know you find it uh, tastier, you could probably eat a little bit more of it, but you're not going, right, porridge is out, time to have, I don't know, cocoa pops for breakfast uh, you know it's it totally different in terms of how full you're going to be in response to that the fiber content the palatability etc uh, so don't change too many things at once or else that exit plan might be a little bit more difficult to execute you know 100 and like i think for most people the biggest win is going to actually have a timeline you know, in yes. terms of like, because most people did, I say you don't have a timeline, but most people do have a timeline in terms of they're like, oh yeah, I have 16 weeks or however long until this event that I want to be leaner for whatever, right? And then there's no actual timeline at the back end of that. It's like, I'm either dieting or I'm not dieting, right? And like, I'm hopefully people who have been listening to the podcast have become aware that we're pretty big on like actually creating a sustainable diet model, like something that you're actually going to be able to do for the rest of your life potentially. And obviously that means building up good habits um, in terms of like, you know, healthy food habits. And that is not going to be something you can do if you don't actually have a timeline in terms of like, what are you going to do after the event? Like what's, what's going to keep you focused on the diet? What's going to keep you focused on your training? Cause this often happens. Like you have this post diet, like malaise, we'll call it where you're like, oh, I don't my direction. Like, what am I aiming towards? I don't know. Like, what's the goal? I don't know. Like you can be very wishy-washy with everything because you don't have that solid 
oh, this is exactly the timeline that we're following in terms of I was on a dieting phase, now I'm on a maintenance phase, and then I want to go to a gaining phase or whatever, or like this is what I'm doing with my training in the lead up to this, and then this is what we're changing it to after this, whatever. You have to have a plan of action for all of that stuff because otherwise you basically just get left at the whim of your feelings, which again, they can be so all over the place and it's not actually true. It's not actually a true reflection of what's actually going on because you know, you're dealing with this diet fatigue. You're dealing with the fact that again, you've been dieting for the last 12 weeks and you're like, your body is just calling out for food. And in reality, you would have been happily delighted if you could eat 3000 calories for the rest of your life and maintain this level of leanness. But in the moment you were like, oh no, fuck this. You know, I'm still hungry on 3000 calories, even though it was actually maintenance. And um, I'm just going to, you know, a load of cheat meals, a load of like, you know, cheat foods. And I'm using these cheat words because that's what people often use. Um, like they're like, oh, I just blew the diet and then they gain back five kilos and they're like, oh, I'm unhappy with that now. And then they go into this, oh, I'm actually just going to start dieting again. You know, even though their previous diet just ended six to eight weeks ago, they've gained back five kilos, even though they were quote unquote eating at maintenance, which they weren't eating at because they were eating all these extra foods, these, you know, hyper palatable foods, et cetera, into the diet. And now they've done like this six weeks, six to eight weeks, however long of like kind of semi-maintenance, mostly in this kind of surplus, but they still haven't actually recovered those normal hunger signals. And now they're going back into a deficit. And then they're like, oh, like I'm I'm gonna, you know, start dieting again and I'm in this, you know, a thousand calorie deficit or five hundred calorie or whatever it is. And now all of a sudden they're extra hungry because they've never actually recovered those normal hunger signals so like this stuff is important to do longer term but the main thing you need to realize is that it is important to understand that how you feel on a diet is not how you're going to feel for the rest of your life and then you actually have to pay attention to these feelings in terms of like you know the signals your body is giving you but also you have to ignore them to some extent right in terms of like they are lying to you sometimes, right? And this is part of the process of understanding how to get long-term results. It's knowing when to listen to them, being like, okay, we're excessively hungry right now. We shouldn't be dieting, right? Um, or again, we're still hungry, but we're actually eating at maintenance and it's going to be a case of, we just need to give this a little bit of time before we start feeling great. Like I had no, I had a client like this, this summer, like he was like, right, I want to get really, really lean. We were getting him really lean. Now it was impacting on his social life, you know, cause he's, he's in England. So they're opening up a bit, a uh, bit more uh, faster, shall we say, uh, or a bit faster, not a bit more faster, a bit faster than Ireland is. Um, but they were opening up and you know, social life was being impacted, but he was like, right, it's actually worth the trade-off because I want to get lean. He's like, I'm the leanest I've ever been. You know, I'm you know, really seeing the six pack come on, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But then he was feeling like at a certain stage, he was like, right, it's impacting my social life quite a bit. And I'm at a stage where I'm, my energy is too low for what I want to do. And I'm hungry more and more, right. More and more of the time. Right. So it's like for him, the trade-off becomes, it's not worth it, right? We brought calories back up to in and around maintenance. And like, I kid you not, within a week, he's like, man, I feel fucking great. Like we probably could have continued that diet phase on. Maybe I was just like, you know, uh, too like in the wrong mental headspace, etc. And it's like, yeah, like this is the kind of thing that happens all the time. It, and it's purely related to the amount of calories that we're on, you know? And like, I could have, you know, for him, I could have been like, right, no, we're actually going to push through for the next two weeks and blah, 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 or whatever, get him to like this shredded lean stage. But realistically, he was lean enough where he was. We didn't need to do that, you know? Um, 
like it was only kind of that like oh let's get actually ridiculously lean you know there was no actual end goal for it overall um but i know already again two weeks past the point then he's like man feel fantastic energy level is in a great place hunger level is in a great place i have way more ability to like socialize etc etc and like you don't think of those things when you're actually planning out your diet and you really just focus on the current here and now, you know, like if you're coaching yourself, like we would have got him say that level of leanness that we got him to like him coaching himself probably would have stopped six weeks before that. You know, he would have been like, Oh, it's, you were already too, I'm feeling the hunger a little bit too much or my imp- it's impacting my socializing a bit too much, etc. Right. And then he never actually gets to that level of leanness. And then it's again, this constant battle up and back because, you know, he's like, Oh, I wanted to be leaner, but now I'm kind of in this maintenance phase or this kind of semi gaining phase. And now I'm like, Oh, I did that for again, six to eight weeks. And now I'm going to go back into a deficit phase. And, you know, it's like, it just becomes so muddied and you never actually achieve your results, the results that you want. And this is why, well, one of the many, many reasons why people say like, oh, fat loss phases are so hard. And it comes down to the fact that first of all, like obviously being in a deficit is you know challenging enough. Again, it impacts on your life in terms of hunger, in terms of like your the physiology stuff, and um, but also then the psychology and the social aspect of things. But also most people don't actually have a fucking timeline. They don't have a timeline of like, this is what I'm going to do for the next 16 weeks. And then afterwards, this is the plan of action to sustain the results in terms of, I want to actually keep the results or relatively close to the results that I got for the rest of my life or potentially for, you know, however many months, whatever you want to do and longer term, you have to have a plan of action for that. And like, we're calling it an exit strategy from a fat loss phase, but it's just a strategy for the rest of your life. You know, and again, like I'm not saying you have to plan out everything fastidiously and be really anal with everything and be like, right, no, I need to have like every microgram of everything recorded, et cetera. I'm not saying that there should just be like broad strokes in terms of like, this is in and around where I'm probably going to be at during this time frame. This is what I'm going to do with these different, you know, aspects of it you know so definitely 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 have uh, a timeline with the stuff and in that timeline don't just go all right it's 16 weeks that i want to diet for however many weeks or whatever it is for you uh, and then i'm done you know and there's no timeline out the back end of that no you need to have a timeline that extends two three four five six months out the back end of that fat loss phase if it is something that you actually want to sustain for the rest of your life does that make sense gary it absolutely does Sorry, there's a plane going overhead there. Don't know if you can hear it. Probably can't. No, I can't. You love to hear the planes back in the sky. Um, but yes, no, I, I think the, the exit strategy, look, it's essential. You know, the further in advance you have that exit strategy, the more you can rest assured that your diet will be successful because it means that when you are having those moments where, you know, you're struggling a bit, that you know it's not permanent. That's really important. And you know, have have the end point, even if it's just rough, because this is something I always ask clients where we might be like eight to 12 weeks in and they're really on track with regards to fat loss. And I say to them, you know, what, where, where's the end for you? And they might be doing better than they thought. That's often the case. They're, they're getting fat loss results much quicker than they expected. And then they're thinking, oh, maybe I'll take this a lot further than, than I thought. Maybe I'll, I'll try lose another 10 kilos or something like that. And you don't want to bite off too much uh, initially. That's, that's another thing is that like set, set a target and then stick with it. And when you get there, you know, take a little break for a while. It might be that you spend a month at maintenance or you spend two months at maintenance and you focus on your performance 
And then you say, right, you, you know, that actually wasn't so bad. I feel like my appetite is re-regulated. I have good energy levels. I feel prepared psychologically to engage with the diet again. So why don't we go for another five kilos? And then that you set that target and you try to stick with it because what you don't want to end up in, and this is what happens with, with many people, often long before they, they get to the point of working with us, is people end up in this perma diet, you know, that they got into fitness with the intent of losing weight. And that could be genuinely up to 10, if not more years that they've been trying to do that in some way. And, you know, every second month they're dieting, but when they're not dieting, it's not intentional. It's more so just, oh, I fell off track. So it's not like I'm deliberately at maintenance or deliberately in a surplus and I'm deliberately trying to improve performance, but rather it's just like, oh, the diet wasn't going so great. So I ended up maintaining or gaining weight. So now I'm dieting again. And you're just in that perma diet phase for years and years and years. So if you can set yourself that target of saying, you know, right over the next 12 weeks, I'm going to aim to lose five kilos and then I'm going to take a break. That's so much better than saying, all right, I want to lose five kilos. I'm dieting now, but you know, I'll see how it goes, you know, because very often, especially if you're guiding things yourself, you can just end up giving yourself a week's break here and there or things slip by and you're not tracking anymore and you're not following your goals and it just becomes really messy and can extend indefinitely. And we, we've seen that many times. Yeah. That's such a hard thing to get out of yourself because you don't have the, the knowledge or the thought processes to get out of it. You know, you're just like, Oh, what's the, how am I going to fix this? Oh, I'll do another diet phase. <laughs> you know? And it's like, this, this is, this is the thought process that got you here, you know? Um, but it is a hard thing to deal with. But I think from that, again, like this is more of a practical episode. I think people are pretty well aware from that, that, you know, it's yeah. probably important to have a timeline. It's probably important to realize that the feelings on a diet are not the feelings that you're going to have long-term and they are going to change. So you have to master that art of listening to your feelings when you're dieting in terms of, you know, maybe it is right to cut it short, but then also not overly listening to them when it's like you've actually changed some things and there is some lag time with say hunger, for example, you know? But two things that I want to touch on just to kind of round out this discussion is that people will use to try to trick this stuff in terms of like make the dieting feel better or feel easier or, you know, move into a maintenance phase or whatever, like they will use stuff like refeeds, right? And like we're, we're pro refeeds, like they, they can be great for a number of reasons. You know, we can use a, a, a one day refeed, for example, to restock glycogen a little bit, you know, so performance the next week is going to be increased. You know, I sometimes do this with you know, like GAA athletes or something, or, you know, field sport athletes where it's like, we want to be in a diet phase, but you have important games every Saturday or every Sunday. So we're actually just going to do a strategic, you could call it a carb load if you will, but we're just going to do a strategic, you know, diet break or a refeed for that one day beforehand. So you have a bit more glycogen in the system, you know, but it's kind of factored into the overall week, et cetera. Right. And so you can definitely use them. They're beneficial. However, for refeeds to be effective for most of the stuff that we're talking about, they're probably going to have to be three days or more. And ideally I would say seven days, you know, in terms of like, we'll call it resetting some of these signals that are going on in terms of like hunger, in terms of like neuroendocrine signaling, like it's probably going to require three to seven days. And even that is that kind of fully reset it's back to where we want it to be, you know, probably not realistically, but it at least gives you a, a little bump from where you were previously, you know? Um, However, we're probably not 
a huge advocate of refeeding. We're probably just a bigger advocate of having diet breaks built into the system. Now, again, you can do this two ways. You can have it like proactively being like, right, oh, we're going to diet for 12 weeks. We're going to have a diet break then after that. And then we're going to you know reassess or maybe we die for another six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is, right? And that's definitely one way to do it. Again, we'll say a week to two weeks of a diet break, sometimes up to a month. It depends. And in that diet break, we're having, you know, we're eating roughly maintenance calories, right? And um, we could also use a, we'll call it a an as needed diet break in terms of, you know, some people have stuff coming on in their life. It's like a particularly stressful week, you know, or, you know, they just need, they're they're traveling a bit more or they're socializing a bit more or whatever it is. And in those cases, again, we could just have a a, a diet break, you know, especially if we know this stuff is coming up and it's so much easier to plan around that, you know, like I'll often do that with clients. I'll be like, right, you know, write down, map out all the stuff that you have coming up, birthdays, special occasions, christenings, whatever the fuck it is, you know, it's like, let's actually just map all those things out. So we're like, we know what's coming up and what's likely to derail the process. So we can actually plan for that and accommodate that stuff, you know? So there's two ways you can use those kind of diet breaks, but either way, like they are such a beneficial strategy to help you actually succeed long-term. It's kind of like that taking a step back to take two steps forward, you know? Um, And people are very hesitant to do this because they're very much like, oh, fuck no, if I go on a diet break, I'm going to lose all my gains. I'm not like, you know, I'm going to lose all my fat loss results and I'm just going to gain a load of fat. But again, it's basically giving you practice for what you want to do long-term, right? It gives you a little glimpse of that because you ideally want to be eating at maintenance long-term presumably you want to maintain the results that you've gotten you know that's what most people want to do they don't want to just lose 10 kilos and then gain 10 kilos back you know very few people want to do that so it gives you a little glimpse of how that's going to look what that's going to feel like how you're going to perform during that time period all that kind of stuff you know it gives you a little bit of a glimpse into that now it doesn't give you the full story because as we said earlier on you probably still do have a little bit of like dysregulated hunger you probably do feel a little bit like lower energy, et cetera, right? But again, it gives you that glimpse into that the, the world that you want to travel to, right? Um, but one of the things that also goes along with that is, and people try to, they basically categorize all of these things together. They go from cheat meals, which we'll touch on in a second, for, uh, to refeeds, to diet breaks, right? And like, as I said, like we're way more of an advocate of a diet break and then refeeds, they have their place. They can be strategically used. But these kind of cheat meals that people use, like there's just more harm than good, right? In terms of it doesn't really actually help the process because you're not getting any of the like physiological boost in terms of like having extra calories for three to five to seven days. Um, So you're not getting that unless you basically just eat at maintenance for the week. Um, Most people end up having this poor relationship with food as a result of utilizing cheat meals as well you know which is obviously not ideal and again going back to the feelings which is what this episode is about you might momentarily feel oh yeah that's great like the taste of this you know huge greasy burger or whatever it's fantastic i really needed this to like you know psychologically help me with the diet like that's that's fair enough but what often happens is there's a lot of guilt, shame, you know, feelings of you know, negative feelings, we'll call them, that happen after that. Um, and usually it takes people two or three days to kind of feel like they're back in a rhythm after having that. And then, you know, most people are like, oh, I'm having a cheat meal every single week. So they're basically after three to five days of, you know, feeling the guilt, shame or whatever for the last cheat meal, they're back to another cheat meal, you know? So it's like, this is not a, 
great strategy overall. And also it doesn't actually cure any of the things that we want to cure. You know, like you still feel like crap on a diet and it probably makes your diet extended. You know, you probably have to diet for longer now as a result of including these cheat meals. So you feel like crap for longer, right? So again, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot with this and not really getting any benefit, you know, apart from obviously like, you know, getting to have a, a juicy meal, whatever, you know, a tasty meal. And, um, you know, but it's, it's momentary, it's fleeting, you know, it's like, this is, this is not, this is not beneficial for your long-term goals. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, but anyway, Gary, do you have anything else to say on that in terms of like, no elaborating on how people feel on a diet being different to how they feel on a maintenance phase or no i think i think i think we covered most of of um what's required the only final thing is is more of a peripheral point and it's related to training and that is people often um justify or rationalize training practices in a diet that they wouldn't necessarily justify if they were in a surplus the classic example of this is when someone starts to diet, they might notice that they don't have as much energy or their strength is dropping a touch. So what they'll do is rather than dealing with the reality of that, for example, um, by maybe not dieting as aggressively or modifying their programming, etc., they'll often just, you know, take a sidestep and just focus on more hypertrophy or pump focused training. So for example, feeling their muscles work and, you know, getting a good pump in the gym so that it's kind of in line with their aesthetic goals. It's not necessarily about the outcome from the training, but rather how they feel during the session. And then when they're in the surplus, they take advantage of the fact that, oh, I do feel stronger. I have more energy. So I'm going to do a load of strength work and maybe not take care of the hypertrophy work um, that might allow them to have more muscle if they were dieting again. So those things can happen very easily. And I think that one of the things to that makes that relevant to this discussion is that when you're coming out of that um, dieting phase, you know, or when you're, even when you're in the, in the dieting phase, remember your overall training goal and that that training goal doesn't necessarily need to change because you have a different level of calories. You know, you can still keep training for strength you can still keep training for performance while in a deficit. You just might have to modify your expectations for those outcomes. Because what you don't want is that because you've got lower energy levels, let's say, or poorer recovery potentially on a diet, is that you totally change the way that you train just because it's kind of going along with how you're feeling. Because that is, is what often happens. And then people are left when they're in a surplus, kind of starting again you know, from, from a baseline that is less than where they started with their diet. And as a result, you're playing catch up every time you do end up in a surplus then. And then another obvious example of that or a relevant point related to that would be the fact that people adopt so much cardio and so much, you know, calorie intensive training when they're dieting, because they're trying to just now view training through the lens of energy expenditure, as opposed to having a defined training outcome. So, don't get sidetracked by those things. You know, they're, they're, they're short-term, short-term outcomes from training. And ultimately, if you're focused on the long-term, you need to keep that in the program at all times. 100%, Gary. I couldn't agree with you more. And this is especially true with cardio. Like, obviously, you can see it with strength training and, like, we'll call it resistance training overall. And, like, people are very wishy-washy with the goals. 
once the diet kicks in and the calories are not there to support this feeling of like the incredible Hulk in the gym, all of a sudden they're like, oh, fuck it. Like, yeah, I'm just going to completely change up my training, maybe swap out exercises that are getting challenging, you know, rather than like, even though they're really effective exercises for them, they're like, oh, I can't lift the same amount. So I'll just switch to this other thing. You know, it's like people do all this kind of stuff, but you definitely see this in the realm of like cardio and conditioning overall. People are like, oh yeah, when I'm dieting, like oh, I'm stay on top of all my aerobic training, my anaerobic training. I'll do like, you know, sprints after my workouts and I'll do, you know, uh, like, you know, cardio sessions, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes, whatever, um, cardio sessions as well, just to burn calories. And it's like, this is probably the worst time in terms of actually getting these cardiovascular adaptations that we, you know, want now. It's not to say that you can't get them. That's, that's far from the truth. Um, but if we actually want to support those cardiovascular adaptations, doing that kind of level of training when you were actually well-fueled probably makes far more sense. You know, like if you're like, oh, I actually want to get really, really fit, like, then actually fuel that cardio, you know, that that's, that's how you would do it. If you were to go like, Oh, I'm a tour de France athlete. And I want to, you know, be the best. You wouldn't be like calorie deficit. That's what's going to do it. Now you'd be like, we need to fuel this training. Right. So why would you be any different in terms of you're just not a tour de France athlete, but you want to improve your, your conditioning, you know? Um, And that is something that, again, it comes back to that long-term like strategic planning, having a timeline with all this stuff, because if you want to improve your fitness, your, your, your cardiovascular system, your health, et cetera. Like you want to be doing these things at different stages and like, yeah, it does make sense to do cardio while you're dieting because it helps with a cardio or a calorie deficit. Fantastic. We're all for that. Again, if it fits your goals, et cetera. Right. But also if we actually want to build those adaptations, like we want to do it when we actually have fuel and also it's going to make, you know, consecutive diets down the line or whatever, easier because if we're able to improve our cardio conditioning and you know while we actually have the fuel to do it and we actually have this as part of our day and part of our schedule etc so much easier to keep that going forward right so that's something to be considerate of in terms of like what what is the best way to fuel your training what is the best way to organize your training on the longer term and again i know people are like oh well all i care about right now is this fat loss phase that i'm in and that's just not it's not beneficial long-term, you know, it's like, what are we doing after this? Are we actually setting ourselves up correctly for, again, a sustainable health, fitness, diet practice long-term rather than just prioritizing the next eight weeks or 16 weeks or however long the diet phase is like, what are we setting up long-term? What are we actually creating with all of this stuff? And is it actually what you want long-term anyway gary i don't have much else to say unless you have something to say now that your screen has gone completely black and dropped out you know um but yeah i don't really have much else to say like there's i think people understand now that it is very much a case of like you have to learn how to listen to your feelings with this stuff and i want people to go away from this podcast and understand like whether they're dieting dieting themselves or they coach others for fat loss like i want them to go away from this and understand that how you feel on a diet how you feel when you're eating less calories is not how you're going to feel long term with this stuff and and you have to come up with a plan of action to deal with the transitionary period between you know, the diet phase and then the maintenance phase, but then also like having this long-term strategic plan for where you want to go with everything, it really does make sense. And it actually really, really helps with everything, you know, long-term obviously. And like, we need to get beyond that kind of 
short, short-term mindset of like, oh, what can I do in the next 90 days? Or what can I do in the next you know, month or whatever? We need to get into that mindset of like, how can we best set ourselves up for the rest of our lives? You know, like you use that analogy earlier on where like, you know, a lawyer or a doctor or whatever uh, will use or will effectively have the first few years of their career as that, you know, eat shit time, you know, it's like, you know, you have to do more uh, work and you get paid, fuck all for it. But you end up with a, a better career, uh, a better like monetary income, etc. as a result of that, you know, longer term. So that is something that a lot of, again, doctors, lawyers, et cetera, have to do. Like most people in their career, like they start off on a shit salary and then they get to a better salary. So that is something that they do. And if you can kind of think of that in the same way or use that mindset in the same way of how you view your dieting phase, it's like, yeah, you kind of have to eat shit for a while. Um, not actually, um, but you kind of <laughs> have to eat shit uh, for a while and you're not going to feel at your best. But if you do it correctly, you only have to do this once, you know, like a lawyer is not doing this multiple times. It's not every, every year they're like, oh yeah, look, I have to do this again. You know, I have to eat shit and I have to, you know, start out from the bottom of the fucking wrong bottom of the ladder. Like they're not doing that every single year. So don't do that to yourself. You know, like that's the, the worst outcome that you could get, you know, so get it. So it's like you do this once you set yourself up for the rest of your life and you're actually climbing that ladder rather than putting your foot on the first rung of that ladder every single year, you know, and this is also just further to that, like, a lot of people make out dieting to be extremely hard and doesn't need to be that way, right? First of all, you could have terrible diet practices and that's why you find dieting hard. And that is probably responsible for 70% of why people say dieting is hard. It's just really, really bad diet practices. And then 20% of that is just because you know, dieting is relatively hard. <laughs> you know, it's like there are like your physiology is going against you. Psychology is going against you to some extent. Right. And then that last 10% is probably because people use drugs for dieting. Right. Like you see bodybuilders all the time saying like, oh, like, you know, when I'm dieting to really low body fat levels, you know, it's like, I, I feel like crap and like, I'm a terrible person to be around and, you know, I'm snappy at everyone, blah, blah, blah. And like, they make, they make it out as a joke and it's like, oh, this is just part of dieting. Now, realistically, it's because they're on trend. Like that's the reason for it. it that, I know everyone uses trend as the, the vehicle for whatever in terms of, you know, you talk about steroids in the industry. People say, oh, it's trend. But I mean like actual trend. That's what they're on. And that leads to a lot of, we'll call it crankiness. You know, they feel real paranoid. They feel like shit. And that is why most people, again, bodybuilders I'm talking about here say like, oh, dieting is really hard. It's because they're on trend. Like, yeah, they get better results, but mentally, like their feelings are all over the place. Right. So you have to listen to the right people when you're, you're talking about this stuff. Um, and you have to not have shit diet practices in terms of you're not going into this like thousand calorie deficit and trying to sustain that for the next 16 weeks. Like it's not going to happen. No one does that. Right. So you have to have better diet practices. And then you only have to deal with that 20% of the diet being hard because, you know, you're in a deficit and dieting is relatively hard, you know? Yeah. So I will let you close this out, Patty, because I have to go and answer my door here. I have a guest. And um, other than that, guys, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you in the next one. I have nothing else to say, Gary. You don't need me to close it out. Everyone knows where they can find us. All the links are in the, the bottom. So I have nothing else to say. Enjoy the rest of your week, guys. That's for Dania. Yeah,